Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferrans. A one-day strike turns into a 10% salary increase for members of the California Faculty Association. Now 200 unions calling for a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas. And today on the show, the International Brotherhood of Teamsters and Good Jobs First. Welcome to the Wednesday, February 21st edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. We have two guests on the show today. We're going to start things off with Paul Rodell. Paul is an executive council member and a 15-year captain at Omni Air. Omni Air has about 390 pilots that are affiliated with the Airline Professionals Association, Teamsters Local 1224. The website is apa1224.org. And that local has voted to authorize a strike with, you ready for this, 100%. All participating members voting in favor of going on strike. Now, the strike authorization allows the Teamsters leadership to call a strike on behalf of of the pilot group if necessary and when legally permitted under the Railway Labor Act. There's some hurdles they have to jump over. Paul is quoted as saying this overwhelming vote should be a clear wake-up call to Omni's management team that enough is enough. It's time for Omni to come to the bargaining table to reach an agreement. Now get this, the pilots They've been in negotiations for an amended collective bargaining agreement for nearly three years. Three years. Progress, says Paul, toward a new contract is stalled despite eight months of federally mediated negotiations. Their strategy of attempting to force substandard contract terms on pilots is causing significant damage to the operation, and they're losing a lot of good pilots little background on Paul. He's a 15-year captain and a member, again, of the executive council. There's about 390 pilots within the Airline Professionals Association, which is part of Teamsters Local 1224. He is a line check airman, a test flight airman, and a captain, and first appointed to the Omni Executive Council back in September of 2015. Paul boasts 35 years of experience in the aviation industry, encompassing airline and general aviation ground and flight operations. He spent 26 years as a pilot, 15 years performing airline and general aviation training. And prior to coming to Omni Air, he was the training manager at Embry-Riddle and worked at Midwest Airlines as a Beechcraft 1900D captain, an MD-80 first officer, and a Dornier 328 line check airman. There's a lot of numbers and letters there. I'm sure he's going to explain all of this on the show. He has a bachelor's of science degree in aeronautical science. 
So he's going to talk about what's going on with Omni Air, and uh, hopefully, hopefully they don't they won't go on strike here. Maybe uh, maybe they'll find some resolve before that happens. Naya Anthony will be joining us later in the show. Naya is with uh, Good Jobs First. I love this organization. We've had many of their members on the show over the years. Last year, they uh, celebrated 25 years of operation. Goodjobsfirst.org. Naya joined there as a research analyst last year working on issues of equity and transparency in economic development. Well, here's the story. About a dozen years ago, Good Jobs First decided to take a deep dive into public subsidies, especially, you know, when you got these companies that say, you know what, we'd like to build in your respective city or state, but we need state tax dollars. So they kind of followed the money on this, and a new analysis makes clear many of the boards themselves that are formed when they, you know, set up these subsidies do not reflect the makeup of the states they purport to represent. By analyzing the nine privatized state economic development corporations featured, this was in a study of 2013, they found that 140 seats, of 140 seats, fewer than 20% were held by people of color. Some states, including Virginia and Wyoming, had no people of color at all. Zero. Comment here from Naya in a press release, embracing racial diversity within these boards is not just a moral imperative, but a tool, a strategic tool, to ensure that states invest in long-term, sustainable, and inclusive economic growth. It's time for state leaders to review board appointment processes to ensure people of all backgrounds are represented in decisions that impact a wide range of business types, sizes, and ownership structures, especially when they involve public money. So that'll be an interesting conversation. Naya Anthony on behalf of Good Jobs First. Now a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at BoydWatterson.com. 76% of voting members, that would be just over three out of four of the California Faculty Association Union, voted to approve the union's tentative contract agreement, which came... After a one-day strike by union members last month, the agreement provides for a 10% salary increase to all faculty, a boost in salary minimums for the lowest paid faculty, extended paid family leave time, and other benefits. Now, within the union, the contract agreement was met with controversy with some members of faculty arguing that more pressure and a longer strike would have led to a better deal. They feel the 10% wasn't enough. However, the majority of the union members voting yes on the current agreement, the tentative contract will now move up to the uh, California Faculty Association's Board of Trustees for final approval, and that should come probably any day now. Airport ground staff in Germany, represented by the Verdi Union, big union in Europe, They went on strike against Lufthansa Airline. This was a one-day strike targeting seven 
different airports in Germany, and it was predicted to disrupt travel for 100,000 passengers. Like I said, unions, different breed in Europe. This strike comes just weeks after another strike launched by airport ground staff earlier in the month. And since then, Lufthansa has offered a 10% pay raise, which, by the way, was rejected by 96% of the union members. Now, the union is demanding a wage increase of 12.5%, along with a one-time bonus payment of 3,000 euros to offset inflation. That's about $3,300 in U.S. dollars. The union uh, is returning to the bargaining table with Luthanza today. Seven national unions and over 200 local unions have announced the formation of a network dedicated to advocating for a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas. It's called the National Labor Network for Ceasefire, NLNC. The network encompasses about 9 million union members and includes unions like UAW, National Education Association, and the American Postal Workers Union. That's a lot of members, considering there's 12.4 million members of the AFL-CIO. This uh, group has five demands, an immediate ceasefire in Gaza between Israel and Hamas, restoration of basic human rights, immediate release of hostages taken by Hamas, unimpeded full access for humanitarian aid, and President Biden calling for a permanent ceasefire. Now, the formation of the NLNC kind of showcases the ways in which the American labor movement connects itself to issues around the globe, according to a blog on On Labor. Their mission states the following. Trade unionists, we stand in solidarity with workers everywhere and join in movements leading towards a just and peaceful world, which upholds our values of democracy, equality, and respect for human and labor rights. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Paul Rodell talking about a strike vote at Omni Air. Back in a few minutes. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AF. 
AFGE.org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. This portion of the show brought to you by the International Union of Bricklayers and Allied Craftworkers. For more information, please visit BACWeb.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at usw.org. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at teamster.org. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at liuna.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF. Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org. In fact, we had Melissa Cropper, president of the Ohio Federation, on the show yesterday. And if you missed it, just check out our podcast, awfpodcast.com, awfpodcast.com. In fact, their biennial convention starts tomorrow. So we salute all the uh, teachers gathering in central Ohio, and they're starting that later tonight. All right, let's go to a line number one and welcome a newcomer to the show. His name is Paul Rodell, and he is an executive council member of Teamsters Local 1224. And he's here to talk about Omni Air, Omni Air International pilots represented by 1224 just voted to authorize a strike. 100% authorization. You don't see that too many times. Paul Rodell, <laughs> welcome to America's Workforce. Thanks. That, that's solidarity, brother. That's solidarity. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no doubt about that. Taking your, we have it. That's for sure. Yeah. So, so talk to me. I, I don't know much about Omni Air until I started reading about this. So fill me in on this. Uh, what is this like for cargo or what? Uh, explain that part and then we could talk about your involvement here and your background. Go ahead. Yeah, it might shock you a bit not to know. Uh, what we do primarily is we move um, all of your military troops around the world to all the different bases. That's kind of like the uh, bread and butter of our operation. Um, so it's a passenger-carrying, long-haul airline, um, 767s, 777s. And uh, then we also participate in different uh, rescue missions like, um, you know, just recently with what's going on over in Israel and stuff. We were that charter airline that you heard evacuating people out of uh, Tel Aviv, Americans out of Tel Aviv, um, present in Afghanistan during all that stuff when we were pulling out there and then uh, the Taliban was taken over. So, uh, yeah, a lot of the missions that we do are uh, for uh, the DOD and uh, also Department of State 
And uh, so a much, you know, somewhat of a government contractor, I'd say that's probably a good 80, 90% of our business. And then we also branch out and help other airlines when they need rescue missions as well. Wow. I'm impressed. This is, this is uh, really interesting here. This, the work that you're involved here along with uh, Omni, you got, uh, what is it? 35 years of experience in the aviation yeah. industry. What, what made you get involved in aviation in the first place? <laughs> I, I grew up in a cornfield in Indiana, really, and uh, I have no idea. I just knew that's what I always wanted to do, so that's that's what I pursued, and I haven't really deviated from it. That's, that's <laughs> common with aviators, I think. Yeah, yeah, I get it. And how long have you been with uh, Omni Air? Uh, 16 years. No, I'm in my 16th year here. Okay. So what's going on here? Uh, it, it sounds like you love what you're doing. You love what you're doing, but obviously you – and uh, the co-workers at Omni Air, well, they're not being treated properly. So explain what's going on there, Paul. Yeah, I think it's endemic of, you know, what's been going on the last 30 years in unions. And it's, a, it, you know, it's a uh, stall tactics at the bargaining table trying to just, you know, I guess to back it up a little bit, what's unique about the company is that this was um, a sort of a mom and pop shop, right, um, when it started mm-hmm. And it's grown into this, and it was basically put together by the pilots, built by the people, the pilots, not necessarily the ownership, as the primary influence. Um, it's the the company sits at about what six hundred and forty million dollars of revenue a year right now, um, and started out at about somewhere around fifty by the time that me and about fifty other people got there. Uh, from other carriers. 2008 is when things kind of uh, collapsed in the airline industry, and that brought um, a lot of people to this company that would probably never uh, have considered it. And then we all sort of sat around looking at each other and said, you know, well, maybe we should do something here, you know. So we built that, and then uh, it kind of turned into what it is today. You know, I mean, we do things like when you had all the kids at the border down there, we went and dispersed them to different cities, flew them all over the U.S., um, you know. And so that's kind of, you know, it's it's kind of been an evolving process uh, for the airline as it's grown. Um, and so I think, you know, the expectation was always that, you know, we, we grew this together. There would be some shared, uh, uh, you know, value in what we created. And uh, we found out not, you know, uh, not surprisingly, that uh, ownership has other ideas. <laughs> so that sort of uh, spawned the union with us. Um, and then subsequently, that family sold it to what is now ATSG, the parent company. And then we've taken on this corporate uh, behemoth that has uh, taken over our, you know, and, and influenced. Um, and so now we sit across the bargaining table just trying to look at at, you know, the industry and where we are in the industry, where do we fit, um, you know, in, you know what, what does industry standard look like for us? And we have just been stonewalled at the table. Um, it's, we're three years into bargaining right now. Um, the things that we have all, we've only bargained non-compensational things, but these are programs like, uh, you know, that are important for the benefit of the airline, really, and the benefit of the pilots. They don't stand alone for either side. Um, but it's just been, it's been a, the typical, we are not going to get to a contract sort of attitude. We don't even have people on the other side of the bargaining table from us. 
that can be decision makers. They've, you know, supplanted people that, uh, that uh, are excellent at stalling and, and not getting the process to move along. Uh, along. So uh, they decided last year and, and really just kind of surprised us um, to force us into mediation. And I don't know if that's the normal thing outside of airlines, but for those folks that live uh, or that work in, uh, in the industry of transportation, um, we deal with the Railway Labor Act, which basically when we reach an impasse, we can request mediation and then we're held in that tank of mediation until the National Mediation Board decides to release us and that it's uh, politically expedient to do so. So we've been there now for about a year and uh, still no progress. Um, we'd like it to move into the compensation sections, um, but uh, it's been difficult to try to leave non-compensation. Uh, for our industry, once you move into compensation, you can usually forget about, you know, that, that, that becomes a faster-paced portion of negotiations. And so uh, there are important things that we need, still need to cover in different sections of our CBA and we are just getting stonewalled. So we're kind of getting the word out, and that's yeah. why I'm here with you today. Yeah. And, and while this is going on, I understand you're losing a lot of pilots. Do, do we have a number on that? Can you quantify that for us? Yeah, I mean, the accuracy, don't, you know, don't hold me to it, but, you know, we calculate those things at the union, um, at the local. Um, so we have about 350 pilots total. Yeah. Um, and uh, last year alone, 97 was the attrition number. Um, and so these guys are having to go out and replace 97 pilots to do what we do, which is not what your typical airline pilot does. You know, we're not flying from, you know, Cleveland down to Memphis or something like that. You know, we're going to go into portions of Africa. We're going to go to South America. We're going to, you know, into mountainous territory, you know, so this, you know, replacing pilots for us is has a greater effect on the safety of the operation overall, especially when you're spanning the globe um, yeah. and all those different types of airspace. So it takes a good, you know, if you have a, a competent, capable pilot coming in the door that has the amount of experience to begin with us, he's going to need probably four or five years to get up to speed to where he's, his head is in the front of the airplane versus the back, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, well, yeah, you're, you're flying in many cases into dangerous areas. I mean, say something blows <laughs> up in the middle East and they say, Hey, you got to go over there and evacuate some people. Oh, really? <laughs> I mean, wow. This, yeah, this is difficult stuff here. Oh my. Yeah. Oh my. I can't believe you're going through this now. Uh, are, they've got to be since they're, they're they're contracted with the government, so they're getting taxpayer dollars, right? Omni Air. Yeah, I mean that's their primary. That, I mean you're absolutely right, and and their primary source of revenue is taxpayer dollars. You know, I mean we're pro, you know providing a vital service to the taxpayers. And again, I mean this is something that you know has grown out of the uh, what they call the craft Civil Reserve Air Fleet. Um, which is designed to help the military um, with extra capacity and, de and delivering missions, you know, soldiers where they need them, that kind of stuff. And then it's grown into other entities within the U.S. government. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it is, uh, you know, 
something that we designed this airline to be able to do. And I think all our pilots want is a fair contract, to be honest yeah. with you. You know? Yeah. Company's doing good, so we should be doing good and not stall the yeah. negotiations. Paul Rodell joining us on our live line today. He is an executive council member of the Airline Pilots Professionals Association, which is affiliated with Teamsters Local 1224, 15-year captain at Omni Air. 100% of his members voted in favor of striking. No strike date set yet. We'll continue with Paul later in the show. Naya Anthony will be joining us on behalf of Good Jobs First. Back in a few minutes, you're listening to America's Workforce. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. Attention members of the Heat and Frost Insulators Union who are interested in traveling. Central Ohio has more construction projects on the books than anywhere in the U.S. Mega projects, large and medium-sized jobs are creating more work than our local 50 brothers and sisters can handle. Projects like Intel, the Honda LG battery plant, and multiple data centers for Facebook, Google, and Amazon offer union wages, overtime, exciting incentives. Local 50 is seeking union travelers to meet the needs of its signatory contractors who can put you to work immediately. If you're a member in good standing and interested in the work opportunities in Central Ohio, visit insulators50.com forward slash AWF travel for more information. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at ifpte.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The The United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the U.S., US, Canada, Canada, and and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust. Find out more at insulators.org forward slash LMCT. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. And when you get an opportunity, here's what you do. Just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always, always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. Before we uh, get back to Paul Rodell on behalf of the Teamsters, I'm going to do a shout-out here to a Teamsters Local 350 out of San Francisco where drivers and warehouse workers, this would be at a company called Ridwell, have voted to unanimously, unanimously join the local. Nationwide workers at Ridwell are organizing to gain a voice at work and to improve, number one, pay, benefits, and working conditions, and 
This, by the way, is the fourth group of workers to join the Teamsters at Ridwell. John Bouchard is the secretary treasurer. He said, I want to applaud this group for joining a growing number of workers at Ridwell who are organizing with the Teamsters. We welcome them to Local 350 and are prepared to help these new members secure a strong first contract, offering fair compensation, benefits, and a voice on the job. This company, Ridwell, is a recycling startup focused on responsibly reusing and disposing of hard-to-recycle items like batteries, light bulbs, and plastic film. Since its founding in Washington State, this was in 2018, the company has expanded to California, Colorado, Georgia, Minnesota, Oregon, and Texas. Blaine Svern is a driver and a new member of the local. He said, we ultimately organize with the Teamsters. Why? Because we need the ability to advocate for improved job security and more consistent hours. Now is the time to negotiate a first contract that will address those concerns. And here's the good part. The company remained neutral. On unionization. <laughs> I got to salute him for that. All right, let's go back to our live line and rejoin Captain Paul Rodell, member of the Omni Air Pilots Executive Council. And they are affiliated with Teamsters Local 1224. They recently voted to authorize a strike. 100% of participating members voting in favor of the action. Now, there's some hoops to jump over here because. Uh, you can't just strike in the airline industry. There's a thing called the Railway Labor Act. We talked about that in the first segment. But, Paul, what I want to talk about here to start off this uh, segment on the show, you mentioned that Omni Air uh, was, I guess, more or less bought out in 2018 by um, Air Transport Services Group, which is a publicly held firm. They're listed on NASDAQ. And they also operate two other airlines, ABX Air and Air Transport International. This sounds to me that you've got the Wall Street types kind of calling the shots. And I talk about this on the show a whole lot because when Wall Street gets invent, it gets involved, it's shareholders first and workers last. Um, am I going down the right road on this, Paul? Yeah, I think that's become a reality for us. Um, you know, from switching from private ownership um, and getting a contract with private ownership, we, you know, we've got anti-union uh, lawyer, you know, lawyers in the room now. Um, you know, uh, we've got much bigger players working against us. You know, it's the first time that I've ever heard in bargaining that no is a counter. no 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 we're not doing anything it's amazing that you've been you've been you pointed out that uh this has been going on for three years and now when did you take this strike vote and maybe you could walk us through the process here of what what your game plan is now that you took this strike vote yeah i think the game plan is to uh you know we're uh well, we took the strike vote and uh, we started, uh, we put it out uh, for two weeks and that was middle of January. It ended here in the last portion of January. In as far as, you know, strategy going forward is to continue plotting through the contract. Uh, we don't have a choice. We're stuck in it um, until the mediator 
decides that uh, we've reached an impasse and that becomes now you got another aspect of the political involvement there now i mean i feel like with this administration things can go well but you know we're in an election year and that could change um and so uh you know we have no other course here other than to keep pursuing uh you know negotiations in the presence of a mediator um the mediator doesn't have all that much influence on what gets discussed. They determine where you meet and when you meet, and so the parties have to show up there. Um, and then aside from that, um, they encourage people, you know, they encourage groups to, you know, go back and perhaps can we have another look at this, that we reach an impasse over there. Uh, but I think we're going to push forward through the compensation portion of the contract. Um, and... Uh, that should reveal to our members if they can anticipate uh, a contract anytime soon. So that's kind of where we sit right now. It's kind of in the mediator's hands. We can't, uh, you know, once uh, once the mediator, you know, if, if the mediator decided we'd reach an impasse, which at this point it's kind of looking to us like that's probably where we'll end up, mm-hmm. um, then what you do is you proffer, uh, it's a proffer of arbitration that goes to that mediator. Um, and uh, they, if the mediator allows us, then they, they give us the uh, ability to arbitrate. And so you have a choice at that point whether you want to arbitrate or if you just want to go, uh, you want to be released from mediation. And that starts the clock on a uh, 30-day cooling off period for us. And then uh, after 30 days, we have the option of striking. How do you feel about uh, arbitration at this point? Uh, arbitration, uh, you know, when you're dealing with people that are not, you know, these arbitrators aren't necessarily people that are entwined with the airline industry, right? So what are they going to mm-hmm. look at to determine what would be uh, a fair, you know, fair to both sides? Uh, we saw the results of arbitration at Atlas. Um, Atlas is also a Teamsters local on their own, and uh, they ended up, with an arbitration agreement that resulted in about 400 pilots quitting within a two month span. Ooh. So um, a lot of times these pilots hang around hoping for something better. But right now, as anybody who reads the news knows, um, the pilot hiring is just unprecedented right now, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so these guys have options. They are very invested in what they do here. They love what we do. That's why they're here. Um, these guys don't want to work for legacy airlines. They don't want to work for, you know, the normal routine airlines that that, uh, that are uh, available to them in the United States. But, you know, we all have families to take care of. So if we need to switch over to doing something like that, we will. So it's yeah. kind of an indecisive time for us. Yeah, we should point out that uh, Omni Airs is not United or American here. They're they're the leading provider of passenger airlift services to the U.S. Department of Defense via the Civil Reserve Air Fleet Program. And, uh, I mean, they go into areas, to hotspots in the world. So there's a sense of adventure and a sense of danger. So we're talking, these aren't your normal pilots here. But at at the same tone here... We're losing them. We're losing. Doesn't that seem to connect with the company here? With uh, what is the name of that company? Air Transport Services Group, the now owner of Omni Air. Don't they realize, hey, we're losing people. We should sit down and buy. Well, that would be the common sense thing, right? Yeah. I think the simple answer to that is no. 
I think that uh, they've proven so far in negotiations that they, they don't value the people that work for them. Um, we've got other groups. Uh, our flight attendants are unionized, and they are also in mediation. Our mechanics are unionizing right now, and um, we have dispatchers. Our dispatchers are uh, also in negotiations as well. So as you can tell, we're not alone in the, uh, in the plight to try to uh, share in the revenues of our, uh, that we've all developed collectively, you know? Yeah. The other thing that's hanging over your head too, it, it sounds like you really want to walk out here in this conversation, but you got this railway labor act, which kind of ties your hands. Is everybody aware of uh, the hoops you got to jump over in order to go on strike here? Yeah. It's an education even for a lot of our pilots because a lot of them come out of the military. And I mean, you know, the other aspect of what we do is a sense of duty, right? You know, that's why these guys want to come here. They come out of, uh, cargo aircraft outside of there, uh, outside, you know, in the military, and they've either flown on us or they're familiar with us, and, and they know that this is what they want to do. Um, mm -hmm. So um, it's been educating them on the Railway Labor Act, and that, that puts adds another layer of frustration for, you know, them. I mean, these guys haven't had a raise in three years, you know. Right. Um, so, um, and they see the company succeeding beyond expectations and there's nothing, there's no movement and, and we're not alone in that. Like that's, it's happening with all the employee groups in the airline and it is, it's a 100% vacuum to management and, uh, and, uh, shareholder interests. So they're going to have to turn the tides if they want to keep this thing going. Now, Paul, you've been a pilot for uh, over 30 years, 35 to be exact, and you were telling me off the air when you started in uh, in airlines, um, well, pay wasn't very good. Uh, can you can you share some of that and where we are today with the pilots at, at Omni Air? Yeah, I, I think it was, uh, I mean, there, I, I, would, I would venture to say maybe one out of 10 of my contemporaries made it from, you know, startup to, you know, being an airline pilot Today, uh, my first job at an airline, I, I, made, I flew a, a 1900, which is a turboprop. That was $14,000 a year, I mean, which at the time was below, I mean, right at minimum wage. <laughs> um, God. Yeah, when I started at Omni, it was such a small-scale airline. I mean, I had to start over. I'd moved up to an airline that was called uh, Midwest Airlines, um, and it was like an all-business passenger airline out of uh, Milwaukee. Um, that was taken over in a, uh, what do they call them, a leverage buyout? Um, yeah. And so they forcibly uh, took over our company and shut us down, and that put us on the street in 2008, which was like the worst time. It's kind of how I ended up at Omni. It was just a really, really small carrier, but you got to pay the bill. So uh, I went to work for them to begin with on a wide-body aircraft at $36,000 a year back in 2008 and then it's been chipping away to get us to an industry standard pay scale and benefits and uh, quality of life issues for the last you know I think our first contract was 2012 so we're still you know 10 years down the road and we still haven't matched anything so it's a deep belief in what you're trying to get accomplished you know so so where are the pilots today at Omni pay wise uh, I would say, if you, you know, we, we take a look at, you know, we have an economist, and that, that economist steers us toward uh, airlines that are comparative. We don't compare ourselves to FedEx or UPS, the big, you know, 
uh, highest probably paying benefits type airlines, and we look at like uh, airlines, which tend to be cargo airlines that are smaller, like a Kalita mm-hmm. Airlines, uh, or like uh, you know even one of our sister companies, ATI. Um, you know, those are you know. So when we look at in that span, we still sit below them, and and you know things that like uh, you know. As far as like the only day off, the only pay that we get for days off is five days a year, sick time. That's well below industry. Um, insurance and benefits are well below industry, um, and then of course you know pay and such. So we're, we've done a lot of work in the non-compensation to bring that up to uh, quality of life. Um, that's an acceptable quality of life for people that are here. Um, programs that protect their jobs. Um, programs that uh, help them, you know, like a HIMSS program. Um, you know, because pilots are not immune to alcohol misuse and things like that. So these programs mm-hmm. have to be implemented here. Um, we don't want to be kicking people, you know, kicking pilots out the door when we can help prevent these things and save a career type thing, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, those are all responsible programs that needed to be here if they're going to be around for the long term. So I, I think I really kind of consider the work we've done at the union something that probably nobody in management considers it. And it's something that helps to build a stronger airline. That's, mm-hmm. it, there's nothing that we're doing that's nefarious. Um, we're just looking to, uh, you know, continue to build a better airline and also share in uh, what we've built. That's I get it. I get it. Okay. I, I, I can sense there's a couple of things you can't really get into in the conversation right now, but maybe we could cover that in another day. Paul Rodell joining us on our live line today. Captain Paul Rodell, member of the Omni Air Pilots Executive Council, the website APA1224.org. Keep in touch with us on uh, this possible strike. You got our support here on America's Workforce. Okay, brother? Oh, thank you. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Naya Anthony will be joining us on behalf of Good Jobs First right after this. This is America's Workforce. It takes Layuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Layuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with Layuna. Find out what it takes for Layuna to keep America running at Layuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council, consisting of eight ironworker local unions in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Michigan. We build the skylines and bridges along the Great Lakes. With more work than ever before, the Great Lakes District Council is actively searching out the next great ironworker. Whether it's building the next Intel plant or constructing a bridge, to safely connect our great cities along the lake. So join the Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council today. Find out how and learn more about the council by visiting iwdistrictcouncil.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at cwa-union.org. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. 
Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at uaw.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at boydwatterson.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Iron Workers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be a WF Union podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the North Coast Labor Federation. Let's go to Indianapolis, Indiana right now. Welcome a newcomer to the show. That would be Naya Anthony. Naya is a research analyst with Good Jobs First. Boy, I love this organization. They uh, celebrated 25 years last year. We had uh, Greg Leroy on the show a number of times of what they do. And in a nutshell, they follow the money because there's a lot of public money that goes to various cities and states. And it's always because, well, we have a plant that we'd like to locate in XYZ City, but we need some taxpayer money. How can we be helped out on this situation? Well, what Good Jobs First does, again, they follow the money. And uh, they're seeing some disparities. And in honor of Black History Month, we're going to tell you a story of what uh, Naya uncovered that's happening in various states and municipalities. Naya, welcome to America's Workforce. Thanks for joining us today. So let me ask you, what, what drove you over to Good Jobs First? You've only been there for about a year. Talk to me about that part. Yeah, I have a really keen interest in economic development um, and have for a while. And so when I found this organization that really honed in on the accountability of corporations, um, you know, that was that was a, a green flag for me to come on over. So, yeah. So I see you work on issues of equity and transparency. Boy, we need a lot of transparency, especially when it comes to a taxpayer dollar. So talk to me about this uh, report that just came out, because a lot of this money is going to uh, – I guess they're they're like privatized groups, like job corporation. I know in Ohio they have one called Jobs Ohio. Why don't you explain what's going on and what needs to be changed here? It's all yours. Go ahead. Right. Um, so yes, my report is about privatized state economic development corporation boards um, in nine states, including Ohio, um, and I'm looking at the representation of races on these boards as uh, related to population in the state, and so. Um, looking at these different these nine different states, they each have their own version of a privatized state um, agency that handles economic development. And usually these are handled by uh, public agencies, like a Department of Commerce, for example, in Ohio. This would have been um, the Department of Development prior to 2010 before Governor Kasich um, get away with that and created Jobs Ohio. Um, and so these private agencies um, really have to do with distributing public money, uh, giving out incentives to companies to come to the state and to create jobs. So they were public agencies and they turned into private enterprises. Did, did I hear that that's, correctly? That's correct. That is wow. correct. Yes. And to your knowledge, how many states have, uh, other than Ohio, have adopted these? We know of at least 10 states that have done this. And, and so you analyzed them as far as, uh, as far as what they were able to secure. And can you, can you talk to us about that part? 
Yeah, so for this report, I really looked at um, the board members. So these are the people that governors of these different states will appoint um, to serve on the board and to decide what companies get incentives, what companies don't get incentives. Um, so across the nine different state agencies that I looked at, there were about 140 board seats. And from what I could find, um, 113 out of the 140 were occupied by white people, which means that um, white people make up the majority of leadership of these privatized agencies. And who's making the appointments, the governor in charge, or are there other politicians involved in, in choosing these board seats? That is correct. The governors are responsible for making these appointments in uh, most of the states, correct? Can you run down some of the states for us that are, well, some states are doing okay, some are doing lousy. What, what, what does your yeah. research tell you? Yeah. Uh, some states are doing better than others. We find that Michigan is doing pretty well. Um, but states like Wyoming and Virginia, for example, are doing pretty poorly. Um, they have really decent sizes of uh, minority populations, including Hispanic and black folks, but their boards are all white. Um, um, and then other states include Arizona, um, Indiana, Ohio, as I mentioned before, Rhode Island, Texas, and several others. Well, overall, collectively, 140 seats, fewer than 20% were held by people of color. Okay, let, let, let's boil this down a little bit. Uh, the ones that are doing really, really bad, can we start there? I mean, how bad are they? Can you be specific? Sure. Um, so in states like Virginia, as I mentioned before, they have a pretty decent size of people of color in the state. Um, but across the different board seats that they have, and they have 17, um, no, no, there's no person of color. These are all uh, white people who have been appointed to serve on this board. Um, and this is an issue, right, because there, there aren't just white companies in Virginia, there aren't just white workers. Um, there are workers of different backgrounds, and they, they don't really have a voice um, on these boards at this time. And in Michigan, do you, are they at the top of the list when it comes to uh, you know, putting people of color on their boards? They most certainly are. Uh, Michigan has a, a, a good distribution. Um, they have about nine people of color um, on the board of 20 people. And they were able to actually increase this by hiring um, and looking at appointing people from the small business community to do so. So they're almost at 50%. If you said nine out of that's 20, that, that, that's pretty darn good. Okay, good. It is, now, yeah. The, the states that did not do well, what's, what's the process here? Do they see this report and they realize what's, what's, what they're doing? It's my hope that they see the report, but um, I, I don't think that many folks are focused on uh, appointment seats for these boards as an issue in terms of racial equity. Um, and that's kind of the point of this report was to not only highlight the fact that these uh, privatized agencies are an issue in and of themselves because they lack you know certain transparency, like open records, um, open meetings requests, and things like that, but that they also lack racial diversity. Um, and the point of this report is to really point that out and to make sure that people are aware that these are the folks who deal with public funding, who decide what companies get incentives and what companies don't. And um, we need to think more about how these, com these corporations, um, you know, sort of come to, come to get these incentives and thinking about who's leading uh, the charge on this. Well, here's the problem, though. Uh, now, these these boards here, and you, you covered, what was it? You said uh, 10 states altogether that you covered in Nine. this one? Nine okay. States, yeah. Now, you, you mentioned, too, that these were uh, development, uh, departments of development that were public that turned into private. Because they went private, does that make it more difficult to uh, 
tell them that they're not doing the right thing because because they're kind of private enterprises. They're, they're, they, it sounds like they can do what they want to do. Am I getting that correctly? That is correct. And um, Governor Kasich in Ohio in 2010 campaigned on this, actually. He campaigned on trying to dismantle the Department of Development in favor of creating Jobs Ohio. And the excuse that a lot of governors use when they make these decisions to go from public agency to privatized agency is that these guys are more nimble uh, and about tuned to the business needs um, than public sector employees. But this is simply not true. There's no evidence that uh, privatized boards do a better job of distributing public money than public employees do. In fact, um, it raises concerns, I think, about the consistency um, between different elected officials over time, making sure that these boards are consistent um, and do a good job for the future of the state economy. Yeah. Naya, now you are involved in this research. Does, does this research surprise you at all when you're when you're doing this work? Um, that's a great question. I feel like there's sort of this uh, understanding, I think, especially now that racial equity is um, a huge problem that our nation is going to have to face in the next few years, especially considering that um, population demographics are changing quite rapidly. Um, so my results aren't very surprising, but I think it is important to take a, a hard look at that. Um, and to really see how exactly how, how bad exactly this is at this time. Um, yeah. And at Good Jobs First, is this the first report of? I know you do a ton of reports. I had Greg on the show many, many times, and I love their subsidy tracker. Go to goodjobsfirst.org. You got to check that out. And I always say follow the money, and boy, it tells you a whole lot. But I'm wondering this kind of uh, research that you did especially showing the lack of, of equity and diversity. Is this the first for a good jobs first, to your knowledge? No, actually, this report belongs to a series of reports looking at racial equity and economic development, because as we know, racial equity is an economic development issue. Um, so you can check out our other reports on the website. We look at um, Michigan, we look at um, executive pay caps, we look at a variety of things on these issues of racial equity. Yeah, it's important that, well, we're arming people with information. So those of you listening right now, I mean, you got a lot of information coming from a wonderful organization, Good Jobs First, and you got to speak loudly to your respective governors and try try to change the dynamics. And that's exactly what we're trying to attempt to do here. Naya Anthony joining us on our live line today, research analyst for Good Jobs First. Again, do check the website, goodjobsfirst.org. Thank you so much for sharing this information. Tell Greg I said hello, okay? Thank you. All right, that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up tomorrow, the Government Affairs Director, the AFL-CIO, and again, the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce Radio Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.